welcome everyone, especially if you're new. We're so glad that you're here. If you're in, just in town for a little bit, or if you're looking for a church home, we're just grateful that you're here. And I hope that this is um, a time where you are actually nourished and fed by the Lord. Even if you don't really know what you think about Jesus yet, um, he is still at work. He is still pouring out his goodness and his grace. And so we hope you kind of get the flavor for that here this morning. And we're going to be looking this morning and continuing in our series through the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip to Hebrews. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verse 1 through 10 this morning. Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews is kind of in the back of the Bible, um, and it's a fairly good-sized letter, so you should be able to find it just by turning all the way to the back and then going backwards. And we'll also have the words up on the screen so you can follow along. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you only because you have allowed us to come to you in the person and work of Jesus. And God, it is such a privilege, and we are overwhelmed by what it means. And yet, Lord, your word tells us to come boldly, to come with confidence, because you look upon Christ and see us. And so, God, we thank you so much for that privilege. We ask that you would open up our minds, open up our hearts this morning, that we would understand more and more as we walk through this book what it means that Jesus is our high priest that we would live by it, that we would understand it and persevere in our lives, holding fast to our high priest. God, we thank you that you have, um, that you have stooped down to speak to us, to encourage us, and to give us the grace that we need to continue to walk by faith. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing to understand Jesus as our priest. And this is probably getting somewhat repetitive. Like, we've been on this for a while. And so I think there's a 
tendency or maybe a temptation to kind of tune it out. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it. But the author of Hebrews is very intentional in why he's repeating this theme. And so I think in, in understanding that and reflecting on this repetition being intentional, we have to kind of step back and say, but do we actually get it? Maybe we get it a little bit, but he wants us to completely get it. He wants us to understand it in such a way that it actually impacts our life, that it actually gives us encouragement, that it actually makes a difference in our lives. And so it's not just an intellectual understanding, but it's actually an experience of Jesus' priesthood coming to us. And so that is part of the purpose of the repetition, but he's also kind of opening up different aspects of what it means for Jesus to be the priest. And so I want, to, um, I want to help us this morning because I think what the, um, what the Hebrew people could assume, we can't. The Hebrew people could assume a pretty in-depth knowledge of the temple system, of the tabernacle, of the rituals of worship that he's referencing here and elsewhere. But we can't really assume that. We read that, we'll read it in, if we go through Exodus, maybe in a Bible in a year plan, we come to that part and we're like, why, why so much detail? Why all these things? Why these lists? And so I want to help us understand kind of the, um, the kernel of what he's talking about here this morning by kind of switching up metaphors on us a little bit. And I want to make use of the metaphor of a canyon to help us understand what a priest does, why it matters to us. Because I think this metaphor of a canyon actually fits pretty well, and it gives us a picture, something to actually place ourselves in if we have trouble placing ourselves in the Old Testament sacrificial system, which I do. I'm sure all of us probably do to some degree. So think of this canyon. I'm going to call it the canyon of sin. And the canyon exists in this world as a separation, basically two sides of a canyon. And it's a vast canyon, but not so vast that you have no idea what's on the other side. We can look across this canyon and we can see something. We can see that across the canyon, there's beauty, there's abundance, there's peace, there's purpose, there's fulfillment, there's pleasure, and there's nothing that is threatening or can threaten any of those things. Because across the canyon is God himself. And his very presence is described as all of those things that I just described. When we long for pleasure, when we long for belonging, when we long for purpose, when we long for peace, it's actually a longing for God. Because all of those things come from him and they are wrapped up in his presence. And so in our life, we see that canyon. And we see it with varying degrees of clarity, I think, in different stages of life. We might see it in a very blurred way. We might just kind of get hear a rumor of what's on the other side of the canyon. It might almost be like a dream, especially if you are unfamiliar with Christianity. You might just be able to identify with one of those longings. 
And the claim of the Bible is like, yeah, you were made for that longing to find its satisfaction in God. And it's unfulfilled, it's unmet, because there's distance, there's separation, because you are on the wrong side of the canyon. And then other times, if you are walking as a Christian and you're spending time in the Word, you read about the wonder and the beauty and the majesty of who God is, and you're seeing Him with clarity and precision. In high definition, you understand how good God is. But there's still a disconnect. We still can't apprehend it. We might experience it for a moment, but then it fades. We might experience the satisfaction of relating and communing with God, but then we suffer. Something comes and threatens it. It takes it away. And we realize that we're still on the wrong side of the canyon. And on this side of the canyon, and this is a theme in Hebrews, we see sickness. We see war. We see famine. Evil. Isolation. Alienation. And even though not everything is bad on this side of the canyon, there still is a hint that this one, at one time used to resemble that other side. It's temporary. It's imperfect. It's tainted. And it's fading. And we realize this. We realize that this side of the canyon is fading away. And that it's preventing us and we can't get to that other side of the canyon. It's too vast. The distance is too vast. And so Israel had this experience too. In these first four verses of the text, he's, it, he's describing the Aaronic priesthood. He's describing what God set up for Israel to kind of bridge that gap of the canyon. But Israel experienced this very powerfully. If you remember, God asked and invited Israel to come up to the mountain, Mount Sinai. And they kind of started coming up and they're like, yeah, that's great. We'll meet God up there. And then they got like close to the mountain and they saw the mountain and it was trembling and there was flames and smoke. And they're like, oh, we're good here. We can't go up there. And so God said, okay, Moses, come. He's a priest. Moses functions as a priest. He goes on behalf of the people and relates to God. Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. So what did Moses do? He goes up to the mountain and he meets God. He receives from God. But he can't, there still is an aspect where Moses can't fully get across the canyon. He can't get to that other side. He has to be hid in the cleft as God's full presence passes. And he can only glimpse it as it passes. And even that is enough to go back to the people, to bring the nearness of God to the people, and they are freaked out by it. Like, that's too much. Don't look at us. He's shining. But what he's doing is he is bringing God near. And this is what a priest does. The very function of a priest is to bring you near to God. That's the whole purpose, is to bridge that canyon. It's what a priest does. And so God had actually set this up for them, knowing that Israel was going to be longing for this, 
even before they get to the promised land, which was kind of held out as the other side of the canyon for them, something to move towards, to go to, where they would be able to commune with God. As they're doing that, God graciously and generously provides them with this system where they are reminded of that other side of the canyon every year when the priest would go in to the holiest of holies, meet with God, and come back out. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But this is the function of the priesthood in Israel. And why we need a priest in this passage is described as being ignorant and wayward. We're ignorant and wayward. So being ignorant is basically not knowing something or being blind to something. And so our ignorance is in that we forget that there's another side of the canyon. We forget that there's something better than this life. We kind of turn our backs because we don't want to look at the canyon, at the vast expanse. And so we turn our backs and we kind of do the best we can with this, with this side of the canyon. And we're ignorant. We ignore the wonder of God. We ignore our longings. We ignore what we're created for. And a high priest serves as a reminder of that because he brings back and he brings near God. To the, he brings God near to the people. And so it enlightens the people. And that's what the priest is doing. But there's also the waywardness. And that's just basically another way of saying, like, we have departed from what we've been created for. We've gone astray. And that is the result of, the result of that is this canyon, is this separation. It happened immediately in Genesis 3. As soon as sin entered the world, there was separation. There was a gulf between man and God. And this was first kind of pictured by the loincloths that Adam and Eve made for themselves. They knew that they needed a covering. They knew they needed protection from God's goodness and holiness because they had sinned. And then God graciously fashions them cloths out of animal skin and removes them from the garden. Why does he do that? It's so that they wouldn't continue in their waywardness eternally. It's so that it gave them the chance, the opportunity to then be represented by a priest to bring them back into the presence of God. And you see that story continue, Noah and the ark, the ark protecting, preserving the people from God's judgment and his wrath, waiting for the day when the plan would come to fullness. And that's something that we need to see here too, is that this plan is very well thought out. It's from eternity. God did not kind of make this up as he goes. He doesn't, he doesn't just kind of create the world and step back and say, I wonder how they're going to figure this out. Like, we'll just, I guess we'll just wait up here until one of these people understands what they have to do to come back and bring other people up here. No, he is the one who created and gave them the instructions for the priesthood. He is also the one that ultimately calls Jesus into that role. And so, the priesthood under Aaron and under the Levites, it was a shadow, it was a copy, it was a forerunner. It was to prepare the people to receive Christ's priesthood, 
But in the same way, Christ did not exalt himself. He didn't think this stuff up on his own, in his own human nature. But he received an eternal call by his Father to function in this way. In other words, this is God's man for the job. There's purpose in who Jesus is and how he lives, how he suffers, how he dies, how he resurrects, that relates and corresponds to him being the priest. Everything he does in his earthly ministry is all about bringing people near to God. He can't help but do that. He can't help bring people near to God. Why? Because he is God walking the earth in a human nature. And so there's these really interesting interactions that he has with people where he has a deep, intimate knowledge of them before they've even met him. He has interacted with them. He has served them. He has loved them before they even knew who he was because he's God. And yet, his purpose in becoming man was to demonstrate and to actually show us a tangible um, expression of what God wants to do, and that is to be reunited with his people. God doesn't want that canyon to exist. He hates it. And we know that because we see the lengths that he went to. We see the purpose of the son's life is to overcome that canyon. So how does he do that? How does he, how does he bridge that gap? Verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Christ's priesthood is that on the other side of that canyon is God. But God does not stay there. God actually comes over to our side of the canyon first. And that's what Jesus did. Philippians describes it as Jesus not thinking that being with the Father was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He put on our human nature and placed himself into the world of suffering and death. And this suffering does a few things that we can identify with, that we know, but for Jesus, him suffering identified his priesthood with this group of people who's on this side of the canyon, who suffer. He identifies himself with sufferers because he suffers the same thing. He doesn't just come to visit, but he lives among us. He's tempted. He suffers. Think about that for a minute. We get tired of suffering. Suffering's hard. It hurts it actually starts to feel like it's going to last forever. It slows time down. 
That's why in the Psalms, the response to suffering is always, how long, O Lord? How long? And Jesus entered into that suffering. He took it on and cried out with his people, how long, O Lord? He offered prayers and supplications as he suffered. He cried out. In his human nature, he learned what it was to be threatened by death, to be threatened by evil, to see war up close, to see division and evil up close and personal, to be affected by it, to see it infect his family, to see it infect his friends, to see it cause division, to feel the pain of betrayal because of it. And yet... In his cries, he was heard because of his reverence. So this is one of the differences between the priesthood of Christ and every other priesthood. is that he was perfect in his suffering. Or maybe even more accurately, he was perfected as he suffered. What does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to become perfect? Isn't he already perfect? Anybody got an answer to that? He's already perfect. He can't become perfect. You're right. But he wasn't yet a perfect high priest for sufferers because he needed to identify with the suffering that he came to unify back with God. And so as he suffered, as he did it faithfully, as he did it towards God, as he didn't sin, in the temptation that suffering brings to abandon God, to find another way, Jesus submits his human nature to the plan of the Father. Notice where it says in verse 8, although he was a son, so we're reminded here in Hebrews, Jesus, eternal son of God, he's the second person of the Trinity, So his divine nature is described here as the son, but he learned obedience. So in his human nature, he learned obedience. But he's not less than God the Father in his divine nature. He's equal. This was his plan as much as it was the Father's plan, as much as it was the Spirit's plan. But his human nature needed to submit to this plan, to walk it out, to actually take on the cross, to walk towards suffering, to die for the people. And so he offered prayers, and he offered them to the one who could save him from death. So Jesus, in his human nature, he is walking towards death. He is carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, He's identified with us in our ignorance, in our waywardness. He is feeling the consequences of our sin heavy on him. And he's walking towards death and suffering, unimaginable suffering, knowing that he is going to take on the punishment for that waywardness. He's walking down into the depths of the canyon. He's abandoning the life of the living. And he knows this, and he cries out. And in the end, the Spirit ministers to him. 
provides for his human weakness and reminds him, God is able to save you from death. Your father is good. He will save you from death. Trust him. And so he went willingly as the sacrifice. The priest who becomes the sacrifice goes willingly into the canyon of death, filling the void, bridging the gap for us. And that is what Jesus' suffering does for his people. It's precious to us. It's the only way that we can ever have a hope of getting across that canyon, of going to that far and distant land that we dream of, of actually having our minds and imaginations blown by the full, unmitigated presence of God. He is a perfect priest. He brings us into the presence of God. But we have to receive that. He does that for his people. Notice how the author of Hebrews puts it. He becomes the source of eternal salvation to who? To all who obey him. Hmm. We're justified by faith. Doesn't say anything about obedience in there. Here is what the author of Hebrews knows and what he is trying to encourage us in. The main, one of the main themes is he's trying to get us to continue on our journey, to hold fast to Jesus as we go, to draw near to him so that we finish the race that is set before us, so that we make it to the other side of the canyon. And he knows that because Jesus suffered, we will suffer. And that's just a reality of living in this world. And I think we are so sheltered from that reality at times in our lives. We're so sheltered from that reality that we kind of do that. We turn our back to that. And we say, suffering? Mm, let's, let's try and figure out a way to create that other side of the canyon here. Let's find a way to have fulfillment, have pleasure, without needing to do all that suffering stuff. Without really needing to follow a sacrificed lamb. Without needing to pick up our own crosses and follow him. Let's see, like, let's just, okay, let's put Jesus into an app and we'll open him up when we need him. And then when it gets a little uncomfortable, we'll close the app. I think that's how we function sometimes. And we're going to receive a warning about that next week. But this week, I want us to think about what it actually means when we turn our backs on that way, when we turn our backs on the suffering, the cost of following Jesus. What we are saying is, you know what? That sounds painful. Surely we can figure out a better way. Surely we can find out a way to either not need that other side of the canyon just forget that it exists and just live a contented life here. But friends, think about that for a minute. The suffering, everything on this side of the canyon, is temporary. It won't last forever. It will be consumed. It will be destroyed. 
And so if you try and make your home here, if you try and somehow figure out a way to just have enough of God's presence here so that you're content, but you still don't need to suffer, then you're exchanging an, eternal, or an eternity on the other side of the canyon for something that's going to be ripped away from you. And you'll be heartbroken. How much better is it to hear the words of Christ as he has gone before us, as he has proven himself to be a faithful high priest and to follow him? And here's what that looks like. We know from elsewhere in scripture is his priesthood actually deputizes us on this side of the canyon as a kingdom of priests, as a universal priesthood of believers where we actually start to have our suffering imitate the suffering of Christ in the same ways. It's pointing to God. It's pointing to Jesus' sufferings. It's suffering faithfully. It's orienting your life towards God even as you suffer because you are trusting Jesus who is trusting of the Father. And you can trust that. And so it is in that where you can joyfully obey. This isn't begrudging obedience. This isn't like, okay, well, I just have these list of things that I have to do in order to make it to the other side. That's not what the author's talking about. He's talking about a shepherd who is calling you. He's beckoning you. Come, this is the way, friends. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Follow me to the Father. Yes, it's through this canyon. Yes, you're going to continue to be ignorant and wayward, but my rod and my staff are there. They comfort you. They encourage you. And along the way, you actually become enlightened. You remember God's presence, the goodness of it. You start to taste and long for the experience of being fully reconciled and communing with God. And as you go, you become joyful. Your suffering becomes joyful. Your suffering is transformed to be a balm that actually helps and encourages and brings more people along because it's redeemed suffering. It's now deputized in the priesthood of Christ. So who are you obeying? On this side of the canyon, there's a lot of voices. They're calling to you. They're asking you to follow. But where are they taking you? Are you sure that it's the voice of Christ? Are you sure that it's your shepherd? Here's a couple of things that you can know that it is the voice of Christ. It's in his word, A. But B, it does not give you false hope. It does not promise you a life that is wonderful and without pain here on this earth. It's up front about the cost. It's up front about what it means to live on this side of the canyon. And yes, the call will be costly, but the reward will always be better. And we long for that. So if you feel that there's another voice, that there's another shepherd who's saying like, oh, it's okay, just, just make a good life for yourself here. You deserve it. 
yeah, Jesus is calling you to suffer. You don't really need to do that. You can just shut the app down, open it up when you need it. You know that that is a lie, that it's something that is trying to have you exchange an eternity of peace and fulfillment with God for something that's going to be consumed. And so reject it, flee from it. Allow the word to enlighten you. Allow the word to correct you, to put you back onto the way of Christ. Follow him. Look at Christ's example. Think about his life. Think about what he did. He did that, yes, to earn the righteousness that then he passes to his people, but he also did it as an example to us. This is what the way through the canyon actually looks like. So look at his life. Follow him in it. And then do it together. That is the purpose and the function of the church. It's the Spirit works through the people to help us, to help us be obedient to the call of Christ. And so do it with the people of God. Don't do this alone. You won't make it. You will be deceived. You will will be convinced of your ignorance and your waywardness. And you won't make it. We're not able to do this alone. We need each other. This is where God is at work, is in the church helping us do this. And then finally, when you think about your life, are you starting, is your life starting to resemble a priest? When you look at your own life, do you see it actually mimicking the life of Christ in his priesthood? Are you, in another way, another way to put this, are you bringing people near to God? Can you, can you say that? Because that is what following Christ looks like, is we will start to do what he does. And we bring people near to God by bringing them to Christ, by bringing Christ to them. And so in your interactions, in your relationships, are you one who is actually taking from the word and from the spirit the things of the other side of the canyon and bringing them over and letting people taste and experience the goodness? Or, And I think we're all mixed in this. We just have to recognize that. There's a lot of us who become secular priests where we still love and care about people, but we try to just organize their lives in such a way where they're going to be okay. We try and relieve their suffering without actually deputizing their suffering in the work of Christ. And listen, relieving suffering is not a bad thing in and of itself. But we are ignorant and wayward. If we think that we can do that in a way that matters apart from the way that it will ultimately be relieved when the Lord comes back. Because if we're relieving temporary suffering apart from the knowledge that Jesus is returning to relieve all suffering. And the only way to get in on that is to trust him, to know him, to follow him. Then we're a secular priesthood. We're not in the priesthood of Christ. And so think about that. How can I, how can you, how can this church actually start to function in a way where we understand, we see, we become enlightened about the things on the other side of the canyon and we start bringing them 
and showing them and pointing and saying, there's a way. And we know him, and he's here with us, and he leads us. Follow him. And that's what it looks like to be a priest. And so I want us to start to be more and more captivated by this vision. Because this is God's plan for us, his people. It's that, A, we would trust Christ in our suffering, that we would trust Christ as we suffer in this life, that we would start to become more enlightened, more righteous as we walk it out, and also that we would be participating in that work in this world. So that we are serving as a bridge of that canyon, just as Christ has made it. So we need to pursue this. We need to be... um, distracted by it. We need this to be the thing that we are working towards. Because if it's towards making a great life here on this earth, then we're missing something. And we're going to be heartbroken when it fades, instead of rejoicing because something better is coming. And the grasses wither, and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you that you have not completely abandoned us. That even in our sin, in our ignorance, in our waywardness, you would have been completely justified to just leave. But instead, thoughtfully, carefully, gently, you just removed yourself enough to allow your perfect plan of redemption to unfold. And so God, as we have received that this morning, as we see what it looks like and understand in a different way what it means that Christ is our priest, that he brings us near to you, Lord, I ask that we would, that we would long for that. That even though that, that in some ways is terrifying, that it's also the only thing that is worth anything. And so, God, I ask that you would free us of the things that prevent us from following you, the things that prevent us from being reconciled to you perfectly, that you would help us, that you would use the people in this room to help each other as we attempt to follow you, as we attempt to obey you joyfully. And, God, I ask that our motivation would be that we will one day experience the satisfaction of our deepest longings. And so, Lord, help us to live for that. Help us to live lives that um, are trusting and obedient to your call. And pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.